Blog Talk Radio. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener. With that said, we're not your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sports Beat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spoolis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports, and today we're going to be talking about something kind of personal to me, and it is my story of Super Bowl One, We'll probably be doing a two-part series because I have a lot to say about it. And it probably doesn't mean a lot to most of you who are younger because I don't even know when most people realized uh, when Super Bowl started, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, my time there, I was at the first Super Bowl. I was uh, 12 years old, just about 13. And I'm going to give you some uh, important scenarios that happened during that game thanks so much for joining us on this segment of sports beat radio talking sports today tuesday the last day of january seems like winter is uh kind of going pretty quick it's been spring like here saturday's supposed to be 17 so we'll get a taste of winter uh once and for all well before we get into my story of the super bowl you heard the tape in the opening segment of uh the show, Max McGee, of course, the star of Super Bowl One, uh, courtesy of CBS. That game was actually uh, televised on both networks. NBC had one of the halves, and then CBS had the other. That was the voice of the great Ray Scott, who used to be the voice of the Green Bay Packers, later on uh, moved down to uh, the desert and did the uh, Cardinal games. And I believe that was Frank Gifford, if I'm not mistaken, doing the uh, color commentary. Commentary. I know he was part of that Super Bowl along with uh, Tom Brookshire uh, at CBS. And, of course, the great Kurt Gowdy and Paul Chrisman uh, would do the uh, honors in uh, 1967. That game was uh, about 56 years ago, just this past January 15th. January 15th, 1967, the Los Angeles Coliseum. Uh, what an iconic place that is on Figueroa Street there in Los Angeles. So many great games, so many great memories 
of that great stadium uh, that holds uh, close to 90,000. But before we get into my story and some of the highlights of what I thought about Super Bowl One, I wanted to share with you a little bit about the NFL and the AFL, um, an interesting scenario because the NFL had played championship games well before the Super Bowl. A lot of people think who are not, you know, let's say enlightened sports fans, that the first Super Bowl uh, was the first championship, which could be farther from the truth. The actual uh, league started in 1920, which was uh, put together by a guy named Ralph Hay, who was instrumental in starting the NFL, along with uh, uh, the great uh, George Hallis, who would own and coach the Chicago Bears for over 40 years. They got together, uh, and there was basically a confederation of teams in the Midwest that uh, really didn't have much rules and uh, you know, much going for it. Football was a Midwestern sport for the most part. Uh, its tentacles would reach out into the East and eventually all over the country and even in the world. Uh, the NFL was not successful in the beginning. In 1920, as I said, uh, they got together in Ralph Hayes' Canton, Ohio, Hupmobile uh, showroom, which was an early uh, 1920s car and uh, they cracked open some brewskis and basically wanted to bring some order to the NFL and call it uh, the American uh, Football League. It was actually uh, American, the APFL, I believe it was, before 1922 when it finally became the NFL. And, uh, you know, it was a topsy-turvy time. It was $100 put in the hat, guaranteed your place. Uh, the commissioner was... Uh, appointed Jim Thorpe, and uh, off they went. And of those original teams, uh, the uh, Dayton Triangles and some of the other teams that were part of that uh, charter member inaugural season, only two teams remain, and that is the Chicago Bears and the uh, Arizona Cardinals. The rest of the teams are all defunct. Um, in the early days, there wasn't even a championship uh, that didn't happen until the early 30s. So the winner, uh, the first place winner, became the champion without playing any kind of playoff games. Uh, the NFL finally got the idea of having a championship game and realized that it was uh, of major stature, major importance, so it continued from the early 30s on until what we have now, the Super Bowl. So basically the NFL had their championships and the American Football League, which was the uh, brainchild of Lamar Hunt, the uh, owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, who started out as the Dallas Texans, uh, they had their championship uh, games uh, from 1960 on, 1960 to 62. The Houston Oilers uh, with George Blanda uh, and Billy Cannon and some of those great players uh, were the perennial winners. They did play a championship game. And then, of course, in 1962, that great, great game, that overtime uh, game between the Dallas Texans at Jefferson Field in Houston, Texas, which is still there, uh, took place between uh, the Oilers and the uh, Dallas Texans, and Tommy Brooker would kick for the Texans the uh, winning field goal and thus eliminate the Houston Oilers from their third straight championship, the Dallas Texans, and Hank Stram would go on to move to Kansas City a year later. Lamar Hunt, the founder and owner of the American Football League, decided that 
two teams in Dallas couldn't work. The Dallas Cowboys came to fruition in 1960 as well. Many people think that the team has gone back uh, many, many decades, but they started in 1960 along with Minnesota, the Vikings, and all of the eight uh, original charter members of the AFL. And so uh, Lamar Hunt moves his troops to Kansas City, renames them the Chiefs, and the American Football League had their playoffs and their championships, and the National Football League would have theirs. Now, you know, it's interesting because the National Football League is the wealthiest league in the world, billions and billions and billions of dollars worth in the league, and it's growing every year. The popularity is growing. Uh, we're playing games, as you know now, having played games for over a decade in London. They're playing games in Mexico City. They've played games in Japan. They've played games in Germany, and that will continue as uh, long as Roger Goodell is the uh, commissioner because he foresees the game to be uh, universal, not just in America. And that, of course, doesn't go over with conservative fans, but uh, it will be as it may uh, as uh, Goodell tries his best to uh, accomplish that feat. And so, you know, it was interesting uh, to me because um, the National Football League got off to a uh, kind of a hard-knock start. You know, the college game back in 1920 was uh, by far the most popular next to baseball. Baseball certainly still the uh, national pastime in the World Series, of course, uh, its prime benefactor. But the college game would get 60,000, 70,000 people in stadia around the country, teams like Georgia Tech, teams like Army, uh, Fordham with its seven blocks of granite, which was considered one of the great offensive lines of all time, anchored by the great Alex Wojohowicz, uh who is in the Hall of Fame, having played professionally for the Lions and also for the Eagles, a two-way player back in the day. Uh, Vince Lombardi, of course, was part of that uh, seven blocks of granite, the great uh, legendary coach of the Packers and the general manager later on of the Washington Redskins. Uh, and teams, uh, you know, around the country would play each other. The great uh, Red Grange, one of the first great stars of the 20s, and uh, Doc Blanchard and some of the other great players of uh, yesteryear, you might say, uh, grace the lawns of those uh, stadiums, and people poured in to these stadia around the country to see uh, the college game. That was not the case with the National Football League. Most of them were factory worker players or athletic club players. So in that, in that time during the early 1900s, most people worked in America in factories, some who had more affluence than others would belong to athletic clubs, and so you had the option when the National Football League started uh, to play for your factory team. Uh, the foreman would come up, ask you if you wanted to play. If you did, some of them would give you a few dollars more a week. You would get a uniform, and you met at a local park. And some of those places are still there where they played over 100 years ago. Uh, Dayton Park, uh, in Dayton Triangles, uh, football team, which was one of the first uh, charter members of the NFL, is still there. There's a few places that are covered over by interstates, and then there's some places that have been covered over by apartment buildings like uh, Memorial Stadium in uh, Baltimore and so forth. But 
basically, uh, if you had the money, you belonged to a athletic club, and that's what the Cardinals were. The Racine Cardinals were part of an athletic club. And you would play and meet in local parks, and most people came out to see the humor of the game rather than the game itself because uh, here were grown men wearing uniforms and banging heads with each other in local parks, and people found the curiosity of it amusing. They would come with their Hupmobiles, and they'd have a picnic lunch, or they'd, uh, the park would be roped off, and they'd sit outside the ropes and basically get a good laugh. Uh, there was no forward pass. There were no real great rules. The football looked more like a watermelon, like a rugby ball, than it did a football. And basically, uh, everybody ran the ball. You knew what was going to happen uh, at halftime. Certainly, halftime was not what it is today. Halftime, basically, uh, the players uh, went to different parts of the uh, stadium, actually the field, and the audience was permitted to come in and watch, listen to the coaches or even talk with players. Some of them were friends of the fans that came and so forth. So it was a loose confederation, really. Uh, most of the teams didn't make it. George Hallis, who owned the Decatur Staley's, uh, they represented a starch company. John Staley was the uh, owner of the starch company. And as I said, if you worked in a factory, you uh, had the opportunity to play for the factory team. This was the Decatur Staley's, Decatur being in the southern part of Illinois. A lot of people have southern accents down there. It's down near Kentucky. And basically what was happening is that Staley was having some financial problems, so he told Hallis that he could have the team. He thought that the team would do better north in Chicago and uh, apparently and supposedly gave Hallis $5,000. Now, I'm not sure why. That was a lot of money in those days, in 1922, I believe it was. Um, you know, I don't know where, if he was having financial problems, why he would give $5,000, but he did, apparently. And so Hallis takes the team to north to Chicago, where the Chicago Cardinals were there. They had been renamed the Cardinals. They were a tough team. They kind of laughed at this Decatur Staley's team. And uh, Hallis built uh, what he could try to build in the NFL. Uh, he printed the programs. He wrote the publicity. He would go to newspapers in Chicago and ask them for just a little advertisement space uh, that the uh, Bears would be playing. And incidentally, uh, they played at Wrigley Field. Uh, and it was interesting because they were still the Decatur Staley's. John Staley asked Hallis to keep the name for at least two years before he would change it. And so the legend goes is that uh, they were practicing in Chicago uh, at uh, Wrigley Field, and Hallis looked up and saw the Cubs logo and said, if they're Cubs, we're Bears. And so the Chicago Bears now were reborn uh, from the ashes of the Decatur Staley's. And uh, Hallis did everything he could to build the NFL. It was tough, and uh, some of the teams didn't make it. And as I said, the Cardinals and the uh, Chicago Bears are the only remnants of that original 1920s charter membership. So uh, it would eventually go on. You know, they had the idea of being able to uh, have a championship game in the, in the early 30s. Uh, that went over very well, and, of course, uh, the rest of it is basically history. Uh, the AFL was uh, the brainchild of the Kansas City Chiefs owner, Lamar Hunt. Lamar Hunt was a very wealthy oil man, the Hunt family down in Dallas. 
Uh, he always wanted an NFL team, couldn't get one, uh, pleaded with the Bidwell family, who still owns the Cardinals, to uh, possibly sell the team to him. They refused, and so he started his own league. And that was the American Football League, of course. Uh, the charter members, the East, was the New York Titans, which became the Jets, the Boston Patriots, uh, the Houston Oilers, uh, the Buffalo Bills, and then in the West, it was the Chargers, who started, incidentally, in Los Angeles, not in San Diego, uh, the Denver Broncos, and uh, it was the Minnesota Vikings, believe it or not, were part of that. At the last moment, they left and uh, joined the NFL instead, uh, and so the Chiefs were a part of that, and so they found themselves with only seven teams. They had to hurry up and find another one. And so Oakland came in as the – they were going to actually call them the seniors, believe it or not. Uh, Oakland seniors. There's something not very powerful. No, no offense to uh, our Spanish friends, but, uh, you know, there's nothing really powerful. The Raiders have that, that edge, you know, that name. And so some of the teams changed their uniforms later. The Raiders had basically a Chicago Bears look with uh, black and gold and uh, – Hallis would uh, retain the colors of his alma mater. He played at uh, the University of Illinois, the Fighting Illini, which was uh, navy blue and orange, and that's where uh, the Bears got their colors, and uh, the league would go on. But uh, Lamar Hunt decided that he would start this league, uh, and uh, the AFL was kind of interesting because it was a tale of two Parts. It lasted 10 years from 1960 to 1970. I think, in all honesty, and I think most people would agree, that the American Football League would be one of the few leagues that would have prospered and given the NFL a lot of problems. Uh, it was that popular, particularly in the last waning years, when Namath and the Jets won in 69, and then again uh, in 70, the last year before the merger, when Len Dawson and Hank Stram and Otis Taylor invade Tulane Stadium to take on uh, the Minnesota Vikings in a game that uh, pretty much was an ass-whipping uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. And Bud Grant, most people thought that the Chiefs didn't have a chance. But, you know, so many great, great coaches came from the American football league, so many great players. And John Madden said it best in the telecast, and he always said it. He said he gave great accolades to Al Davis for giving him the chance and the opportunity to coach. I think he started with the Raiders as a line coach, uh, or the uh, Chargers, I, I, I think it was. Um, that is uh, John Madden. And he was always very grateful to Al Davis because most of those coaches never would have had the chance. And you, when you look, you know, the masterpiece of Weeb Eubank putting together that great uh, Super Bowl win that gave the AFL the identity that it finally deserved uh, with Emerson Boozer and Matt Snell running the ball for over 100 yards against a Baltimore team that was, I thought, better than the first two Packer teams. And then again, Stram with, uh, you know, the uh, 65 toss power trap and matriculating the ball down the field. Hank Stram, a great innovator uh, in the American Football League and uh, certainly uh, worthy of his place in the Hall of Fame. Weeb Eubank the same way. So many great talents. And so, uh, believe it or not, uh, there was uh, some talk and some secrecy between Tex Schramm, who was part of the Dallas Cowboys organization, and Lamar Hunt, who decided now that probably the feud was over and let's, uh, let's unite and let's merge. And so part of that merger, 
between the American Football League and the National Football League. The National Football League will, of course, take in the teams uh, from the American Football League, and they will become one, the American Football Conference and the National Football Conference, which would all be under the auspices of the NFL. And that's kind of how it started, with one uh, caveat, and that was that they both agreed to play a championship game. And uh, the first one that I attended, and I'm going to be talking to you about that, was not uh, called the Super Bowl, neither was the second one, when uh, the Oakland Raiders played the Packers for the second Super Bowl. It was called the AFL-NFL World Championship, and it got its name Super Bowl because of Lamar Hunt. Again, such an innovator Mar- Lamar Hunt was, uh, such a major uh, par- uh, op- you know, part of that uh, great AFL tradition. Uh, he saw his kids playing with a Super Bowl. And they still make them. In the 60s, that was kind of the, the thing to do, like the slinky and all that. You'd bounce this little rubber ball, and it would bounce all kinds of ways. And he got the idea of calling it the Super Bowl because of that. And he went to the owners, and the owners liked it, and they, it became uh, Super Bowl III uh, was the Super Bowl from there in. So uh, that's kind of the history of it. The NFL, of course, grows in stature, overtaking baseball as, you might say, the national pastime. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because the Super Bowl now has become iconic. I mean, there's been lobbyists, and they talk about it quite often, to make Super Bowl weekend a national holiday, having that Monday off the next day, as many holidays that fall on a Sunday, they give you Monday. Um, I don't know if we're going to see it. It seems like Congress has better things to do than worry about uh, a national holiday for the Super Bowl. But that's how big it's become. And even though the World Series was this iconic seven-game event, it never has approached uh, you know, the uh, polish, let's say, of what the Super Bowl has become. And many of those Super Bowls have not been very good because it's a one-game deal. So that's kind of a look at, you know, what happened and uh, what, the way the two leagues uh, came to be. Uh, you know, the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns uh, became part of the AFC to give it more balance. And, of course, you had Miami Dolphins in the early 70s undefeated. You had those great Steeler teams. Um, and now, of course, you've got uh, the AFC, which was the old AFL, um, with its dominance of great, great quarterbacks. Uh, you know, it's it's just a, a, a great league. And, you know, it's interesting because I remember uh, growing up, I started to watch football probably about 1963. I can remember Y.A. Tittle. I can remember uh, Tobin Rote, who was the predecessor to John Hadle, the great John Hadle of the Chargers. You know, I remember... Uh, uh, Goose Gosselin, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, some of the uh, Abner Haynes and some of those great players of the uh, early 60s. But I always loved the AFL. There was something about it that I liked. The uniforms were just so cool, you know, uh, the red, white, and blue of the Boston Patriots and, you know, the uh, colors of the Denver Broncos, the orange and the Chargers with the uh, Lightning bolts all over, you know, and you look at the NFL, and it was kind of drab. They all wore white on the road, and their home jerseys were not overly colorful. You know, they played mostly what they called smash-mouth football. They didn't do a lot of the things that the AFL did. Uh, I like the wide-open 
offense, you know, Hadel to uh, Lance Allworth and Hadel to uh, Gary Garrison and Namath to Maynard and Sauer and the running game and the defenses were certainly there in the AFL. I enjoyed all that. And I always felt guilty about not watching the NFL because in eighth grade uh, we had a football coach. He was the math teacher, Mr. Price. Fred Price was his name, and I'll never forget. Um, we all signed up for football. We had to fill out these cards. And in his math class, he went around the room one day and said, uh, okay, uh, uh, just wanted to make sure that the guys who filled out the cards are going to be playing. Steve McCoy, are you going to be playing? Yes. Yes. Uh, Mike Mock, who was kind of our star athlete. Yeah, I'm going to be playing. They got to me. He says, Spoolis, are you going to be playing? And I said, you know, this is where honesty doesn't, isn't really the best policy. I said, no, I, I can't play. My mother won't let me. And with that, the crowd uh, in the class uh, laughed. They got a good laugh, including the girls. I felt uh, about two inches tall. And uh, he said, what's the matter, uh, Spoolis? You're going to have, uh, you're afraid to get a bloody nose or a fat lip? And he kind of put the card down uh, in disgust. And then uh, another time we were in uh, his class, and he always started on a Monday by asking the guys. We only had three networks then, NBC, CBS, and uh, ABC. And CBS had the National Football League, and uh, NBC had the uh, American Football League. And uh, he would go around the room asking what game. And I spent some time in southwestern Pennsylvania, not too far from Pittsburgh, and a lot of the fans there were Steeler fans, even though those teams were terrible. And uh, many of them were Giants fans. And uh, he'd go around the room, you know, what game did you watch? Well, I watched the, uh, you know, Steelers and the and the Giants. Uh, I watched the Rams and the Packers. Or, and then he came to me, Spoilers, tell us what game you watched. And sheepishly I would look at him and around the room and say, I watched the uh, AFL, the Buffalo Bills and Jack Kemp taking on uh, Lance Allworth and John Hadle and the Chargers. And he would look at me and he'd say, you know, that Mickey Mouse League, you're watching that Mickey Mouse League, that's not real football. Well, you know what, it was interesting because all of them ended up putting their foot in their mouth because the AFL would one day outshine the National Football League. And I still think today, uh, if had the American Football League not merged, it would have been probably more watched than the NFL. They had the play-action pass, something that the NFL didn't do. Uh, they were much more open on offense. They had more colorful uniforms. They had the two-point conversion. And there were just a lot of things. Even the referees looked different. They didn't have the black and uh, white stripes. They had the red and white. It was all different. And so uh, I felt guilty about it, but then I started to realize that uh, some of my friends watched the AFL as well, and uh, I didn't feel so bad growing up and watching it. So, you know, it's a look really at, at – at what happened with the NFL and the AFL? Uh, the NFL, of course, uh, you know, uh, a dominant league, as I said. The American Football League from 1960 to 65 was really, you know, uh, a wobbly league. I mean, it could have gone out at any time. The Oakland Raiders were in trouble at one point, uh, and uh, the owner of the Buffalo Bills, Ralph Wilson, bailed them out, gave them a $450,000 loan, which not only kept the league alive, but kept the Oakland Raiders alive. Uh, and that was a lot of money in those days that Ralph Wilson gave to the, uh, and the Wilson family still owns the Buffalo Bills. So, 
you know, when you look at it, uh, the American Football League, tale of two parts. The first five years, not so good. You look at some of the early pictures and, you know, uh, the stadiums are cavernous. There's nobody there, maybe three people sitting in one area and the rest of it's empty. And then they signed Namath out of Alabama, who had won a championship under Bear Bryant, and things started to change. Women started to watch the game, mainly because of Namath and his good looks and his uh, tirades on the field. Was he a great, great quarterback? I think it's debatable whether he should have been and should not have been in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame, but he really kick-started the American Football League. And then, of course, you had from there on signings of major, major people, uh, because of the oil money, the rich money that uh, a lot of the AFL owners had and were able to uh, you know, put those contracts together uh, to get some of the best players. So in tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about my actual story uh, and time. going to let you know how it came about getting the Super Bowl one, where I was, who I saw, uh, what the game was. And I'll tell you, for a 12-year-old who was uh, loving the game of football, uh, it was like being on a cloud coming into that stadium. And little did I know that uh, some seven years later that I would be uh, right down the street from that stadium having attended as a, as a music major and studying with some great players of the world at USC. I'd be uh, back uh, at uh, that iconic stadium again. Uh, it's always amazing. They say you can never go home again. Well, I'm not sure that's, you know, totally true. So, that's a look at uh, basically, you know, what happened and where uh, we think it's going to go and what's going to happen. I'm going to be talking last, uh, tomorrow about my uh, time uh, at Super Bowl One. I. I think it's a cool, cool story because there's not too many people that are around who can remember it. Well, that about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports Today. Of course, my story of the... First Super Bowl, part two tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. All of you have a great day and great sports opening the uh, Super Bowl in about two weeks. The Chiefs and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are at this point a one-point favorite. Should be a good game. Both teams, of course, very well matched.